Well, as Wade uh, mentioned, Franklin Graham will be here uh, this coming Thursday at the State House at noon. Uh, it's for a prayer rally, expected to take about an hour, I guess. Uh, our staff is all going to go down. We're going to leave the building here, leave the property here about 10 o'clock that morning and go down and park and catch the bus down just so we don't have to park down there. If anybody would like to come, just come, you know, but be here by 10 because we'll just drive down there by somewhere in Grove City and park our cars. And You need two bucks each way, correct change. Okay, got that? I'm not buying your way down there. <laughs> Baptisms are coming up. We love to baptize people. If you've never been baptized before, we'd love to baptize you if you're in that place where you're ready to make that commitment to Jesus. So I guess we got, we got a couple. Oh, yeah, I'll get to you guys in a second. <laughs> so uh, I, just, I just wanted the young people to hear the baptism talk, too. That's why. So if you haven't been baptized yet, I think the next, the, there's two meetings you come to, and they're, they're not necessarily sign-up meetings, but you've got to come to them to, so we can make sure you're in a good place to be baptized in terms of your faith and stuff. So having said that, we're going to let the uh, middle school and high school, I, I meant to do it this way, right, from the very beginning. High school, middle school kids off this way. Imi, Imi, no. I know you're small, Imi, Imi, but no, no. <laughs> Guys, have a good time. Well, there are some words of the English language that have a completely different popular meaning in England than they do here in the U.S. Uh, some of them are not fit for church talk. You may know of them, but others are. For example, football. We know what we mean when we say football. You say football in England, you're talking about soccer, right? A biscuit, a biscuit here is, you know, what you put the gravy on at Bob Evans, right? Well, there it's a cookie, basically. Pants, pants. If you put your pants on here, putting your, your jeans on, right? In England, it's something a little more brief. Yeah, you'll get that. Very good. A bog. If you know what a bog is here, you know, that wet lowland stuff. A bog means something else in England. A bog is something that every one of you has in your house, and you might have two or three in your house, depending on if you're a two or three bathroom home. Okay, I'll let you go with that one. Braces, we, if you, you have your braces on, you not normally think of your teeth, and braces are suspenders in England, actually, which makes sense. Right? You know, brace your pants up. Well, brace your trousers up, actually. You don't brace your pants up in England. I promise you that. Asking for trouble there. A trolley. Trolley. Mr. Rogers, people know what the trolley is, right? Ding, 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 ding. Sure, we know what a trolley is. The San Francisco treat, right? rice a <laughs> Trolley. Trolley in England is the shopping cart. Right? Ah, how about that? Of course, everybody knows chips are different there, right? Fish and chips. You know, it's not like potato chips. It's French fries, but apparently their relationship with France is so bad that they don't call them that. So, A dummy. A dummy in, England, in here means, well, we won't mention names, but in England, a dummy is a, is a pacifier. 
give the kid his dummy. All right? Give the dummy his dummy. I don't know. <laughs> a lift. To lift. You know this probably, right? Elevator, right? Take the lift. And, um, and then uh, also the, the hood on the car. Anybody know what this is in England? It's the bonnet. Right, the bonnet. I remember when we were in England several years ago, and we had the hardest time uh, because we would ask uh, if they could tell us where a bathroom was. We were, in the, we were in Scotland at one point, and we were visiting this church, and we said, do you have a bathroom? And they looked at us wondering why we would want to take a bath. And uh, apparently they wanted us to ask for the loo. Anyway, different. So you've got to be careful when you go there. Don't use your regular American words, uh, at least not carelessly. There are also some words in the English Bible that have a substantially different meaning than in their original texts and contexts than what the popular meaning of the same word is today. And one of those words that has a substantially different meaning in its original text and context than our popular use of the word today is the word hope. It's the word hope. Now, it's been only three and a half months since our look at the book of Daniel... And now we are returning to the Through the Bible series of messages. And as you may remember, if you were up in the first 24 messages, wow. Uh, This is meant to be a survey study. We're we're going through the Bible. We're kind of taking a high view of it. And uh, with a few moments in each teaching, with something a little more in depth uh, at a particular spot in it that I call the hot spot. And so today we'll resume the Through the Bible series with message number 25. And we'll be in the book of Hosea. The other 24, I think, are online, if you ever want to feel like catching up. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for all the love and mercy that you pour out on us through your son, Jesus. And we're so humbled. It's, it's sometimes hard to even make words to pray to you, Lord, because it's, it's so powerfully humbling to think of what you've done for us to conquer sin and death in our lives. It's so... Uh, And yet it's so engaging to think of your word to us in the Bible and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us as as your redeemed sons and daughters, as the community of faith, as the church. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to be the teacher so that, you know, there's lots of different people here. And I know that you could do something in every mind, in every heart. I know that you could do something through the proclamation of your word that would be unique, uh, would fit a unique need in every heart and mind. And so we invite you to come and do that now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, through the Bible, here we go. We'll start with the context. The context is, of course, the, the pieces of the puzzle that are around the, the passage of Scripture, uh, the bigger picture, if you will. This is actually the first of 12 minor prophets as we start in Hosea and then move toward the other 11 that follow. These are the last 12 books of the Old Testament. They're referred to as the minor prophets uh, only because the length of their material is by, is by comparison to who? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. It's shorter. And so it's not a, it's not a question of the importance of what they're saying. It's a question of the relative length of their material. So it's the first of 12 
of the minor prophets. The date of Hosea 760 to 725 is the period that he likely prophesied. How do we get that? We get that from the book itself, and inside he refers to different kings of Israel, and we know when they were. By external sources, we can actually date when a king was. And King Uzziah was one of them, which would make him a contemporary with, think about it, Isaiah 6? Isaiah, exactly. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, right? And so it would make him a contemporary with Isaiah. And so he's running at the same time. We, we, we stop it at 725 because something happened in 722 B.C. that was uh, of major importance. And that's when the Assyrians conquered the northern portion of the kingdom, which was called Israel. Okay? And when that happened, so all these events are leading up to the fall of Israel, not the fall of Judah and Jerusalem, but Israel to the north, when the Assyrians came in and captured them in 722 B.C., conquered them, I should say. And in that time, um, or, or, or for Hosea not to mention that in the book of Hosea, if it had happened during his prophecy, would be like one of our historians just neglecting to mention 9-11, right? I mean, just flying right through that era of time and never saying anything about it. So it was that big. And so we would be sure that Hosea would have said something about that in his prophecy had he still been prophesying, okay? This was also following an era of unparalleled economic prosperity. So what was happening in the region at this time is there, was always, there were always the ebbs and the flows uh, of, of world power. Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, that kind of thing, Egyptians. And at this time, up until this time, there was relative uh, weakness in these world powers. And so Israel was, uh, Israel and Judah, the nation of it. So you always have to kind of differentiate between the people of Israel, which are God's people wherever they are, and the nation state of Israel. We have to differentiate between those as we're talking about it. But the people of Israel were enjoying a time of great economic prosperity. And uh, they, in the process of that, they were turning away from God. That doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? They were experiencing great economic prosperity, and in the process, they were turning away from God. I'm glad the Bible isn't relevant for us today, aren't you? Aren't you? Man, could it be any clearer? So this is uh, the larger context in which the, the, the thing was set. As far as the main points, the main ideas in the book of Hosea, you start with what I call the, the Jesus prophecies, or these are really exciting prophecies about Jesus Christ and the age of the church. Now let me, let me apologize for something in advance. Not all of my numbers actually match with where I meant to be. And so uh, I'm not sure if I'm having numbers issues or what, but uh, you true Bible students will figure it out. Uh, there are the exciting prophecies about Jesus in the age of the church. For example, Hosea 13, 14 says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O death, is your destruction? That's a talk about Jesus coming. Does, does that where, O death thing ring a bell at all? 
Remember in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is simply utilizing what Hosea said seven centuries earlier to bring about, eight centuries earlier, to uh, bring about a word of fulfillment. Uh, Hosea 14.4 says, Take words with you and return to the Lord. Remember, the people had turned away. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer, here's a catchphrase, the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips. So stuff comes off of our lips. Some of it is fruit, right? Some of it is not. And so this, this call to give God the fruit of our lips was a prophetic utterance to give God our praise. Give Him our praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says in the New Testament, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. So it's the fruit of lips of those who are living in the fulfillment of Hosea's prophecies about Jesus. In chapter 6, verse 2, see if this fits at all as far as a Jesus prophecy in the 8th century B.C. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us that we may live in his presence. You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to figure that one out, do you? After two days he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. This is the prophecy to the resurrection of Jesus, of course. So there's this as far as the mains. There's also a relevant warning for us in the book of Hosea. And we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 6 to begin with, where Hosea says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, we have to balance this against the New Testament heresy of something called Gnosticism, which was that you could get this sort of divine knowledge, and that's what saved you. Jesus Christ saves us, and it starts with a knowledge of that, with a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior. But beyond that, have you noticed that that's not the end of the matter, that, there's, that there are constant challenges in living out our lives as believers well, what do we need? Well, we need the Holy Spirit in us, but we also need knowledge. And so for us as individual believers or as a church, not to continue to give ourselves to more and more knowledge of the Word of God and knowledge in the Holy Spirit means that we're going to perish. It says, for our, our, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, make sure we understand this. He's not saying for lack of information. Because we got lots of information, don't we? You're sorting out information all the time. And some of you have work lives where you get to listen to podcasts as you work and stuff, and you listen to this person and that person and that person and this person, all of which I'm sure is great. But at the end of the day, you have to kind of sort it all out, don't you? And decide what is true and what just ain't true. And so it's not for lack of information people are destroyed, it's for lack of knowledge. If you look over in chapter 4, the last 
uh, part of verse 14, it says, A people without understanding will come to ruin. Without understanding. Not a people without information, but a people who don't understand the knowledge. There's a real powerful, powerful point there, believers. As you continue to say, what good is it for me to read my Bible? What good is it for me to come to church and listen to the Word? What good is it? Well, the good is, is that if you embrace the knowledge of God, then you prosper. Then you prosper in Him. And then uh, I think the third main storyline is the striking allegory. Hosea is a really interesting book in the way God set it up. Because what he does in chapter 1, just look at the opening verses of it. Uh, Start in verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So God tells Hosea, I want you to go out and marry a prostitute. As an allegory to the unfaithfulness of Israel. That as a prostitute, by by very nature, is with one man after another man after another man. Then so has Israel been, chasing after Baals, chasing after the Ashtoreths, chasing after other gods. And so God tells Hosea, in this striking allegory, here's what I want you to do to make my point. I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. Man, is that out there or is it just me? I mean, God tells us to do some strange stuff every once in a while, doesn't he? You'd want to be sure about that one. Especially if you're already married. Honey, there's somebody I'd like you to meet. Oh, no, 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 no. God told me to bring her home. Good luck with that one, right? It's a striking allegory. The lengths to which God will go to get us back. It's amazing. The hot spot for today, the place I'd like for you to spend a little more time thinking, is in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. All right? There in Hosea 2, 14 through 16, this is the place where I said, Lord, and I really labored over this because there were like several places that seemed so interesting. Uh, this was the place for your benefit because the Father loves you. I think he has a word for each and every one of you. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. Remember, the whole allegory was about the allurement of a prostitute. And, and so God's saying in the beginning, take for yourself a wife of adultery, and, uh, because Israel has been allured away from me. Now the scene changes, and God says, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. God is going to get Israel back. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. So God has had these pronouncements of judgment because of their unwillingness to repent. And he says, here's my new strategy. I'm going to allure her into the desert, to a lonely place, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. Therefore, or there I will give her back her vineyards, because God had judged them 
and I'll give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Wow, what a prophetic reference to the church. We are the bride of Christ. In that day, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. So that the essential nature of the relationship of the people with God, of God changed because of Jesus Christ. The very nature of it. That we are not under law, we are under grace. We are not under servitude, we are in the family. We are invited to the table of the Lord. Focus in on this, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Valley of Achor? What's that? Well, it's a real place. And the Valley of Achor, if you want to see it, turn back to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. And you will see that something happened there that in the attempt to conquer one of the cities in Palestine, remember that the Israelites came up out of Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and then Moses finished up, Joshua took over and led them in in victory after victory after victory after victory, and then they came to the city of Ai. And when they came to the city of Ai, they were routed. And, 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 and it was a small city. Their spies said, you don't even need to send very many people to conquer it. And so they were beginning to rely on their own strength instead of the leading of God. And so in the process of that, then there was a guy named Achan. And in the process of... of, of taking over one of the cities, then Achan did something that he was commanded not to do. They were commanded not to take the holy things of the cities that they conquered. Don't bring the idols home with you. Even if they're made of gold, even if you're planning on melting them down, don't bring them back. Achan said, I know better than God. I'll bring it back. And he not only brought it back, but he buried it in his tent so that no one would know. Because God can't see inside of a tent under the ground, right? And so this is, name, this is Achan. Well, what happened was, is they experienced this defeat, and Joshua cries out to the Lord, what's going on here? Why, why have you suddenly taken your favor away from us? He said, it's because of Achan, and Achan's sin. And so they went, and they confronted Achan and his family, and indeed, then, only after being confronted, they produced this hidden this hidden uh, uh, idol, and in the process then, God directed uh, the people of Israel to stone Achan and his family to death. And in the pile of stones there in that place, that's called the Valley of Achor, which means the Valley of Trouble in Hebrew. So that's a Valley of Trouble. That because of the sin that we hide, that because of our secret sin, the sin that we have, no one that we can share that sin with or refuse to share that sin with. That because of that hidden sin, that hidden addiction, that thing we think nobody knows about that's hidden, buried in our tent, covered over, and we've got ourselves looking pretty cool on the outside, but nobody knows what's in there. God knows what's in there. God knows what's in there. And because of that, judgment is on the person. Judgment is because it's an unconfessed, hidden sin. And so this valley of Achor was there, 
David said in Psalm 19, he said, And keep your servant from secret sins, then I'll be blameless. I mean, David thought he got away with having adultery with Bathsheba and then sending Uriah to the front lines to to die, right? Other than Nathan the prophet who shows up and says, You may think you've hidden everything, but God knows. And it's hurting you. It's choking the life out of you. And he repented. In James 5.10, it says that we should confess our sins one to another and pray for each other so that we may be healed. I want you to think of it this way. There's vertical forgiveness and there's horizontal forgiveness. The vertical forgiveness is when we confess our sins to Christ, known or unknown, to others we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. But the impact of sin that we have hidden in our lives, it has an impact on somebody in our lives. And so when we keep it hidden, we are actually living outside of forgiveness of the one we are sinning against in secret. Does that make sense? And James 5.10 says, then confess your sins to one another. Find a brother that you trust so much that you would confess your sins to him. A sister you trust so much that you would really just show them the inside of the inside of the inside. Why? So they can forgive you? No, God has forgiven you. So they can pray for you, the Bible says, that you may be healed. So Achan uh, did this, and this was called the Valley of Achor then. And then back in our text in uh, uh, Hosea then, what does God say? Well, he says, and I will make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. He's going to change something. The Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble, the Valley of Darkness, the Valley of Secret Sin. He says God is going to do something that will transform the Valley of Achor into a door of hope. That's a pretty big change, isn't it? It was the valley of judgment. It was a place where a whole family was stoned because of their secret sin. And God is going to do something to change that from that into a door of hope. Now, hope is one of those words that when we say it in English, we think we know what it means in the Bible. And we have to do some work on it to get hold of it. It, When we say hope in English, we say hope with the idea that the outcome of the thing is uncertain, right? So we say, I hope the Buckeyes win the national championship. And you hope that. Or I hope I get the new job. I hope she says yes. I hope. And we use it that way, knowing that we have a certain amount of influence or someone has a certain amount of influence on it, but the outcome is uncertain. That is not true in the biblical use of the word hope. The outcome was always certain. So hope is more like promise. What was, what was not known about the promise are some of the details in the way that that promise would be fulfilled. And so there was a hope. You don't know everything about it, but you know that it's going to happen. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, if you will. Look at verses 18 through 25 quickly with me. Romans chapter 8. Here Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So he says, yeah, we're going through tough times, but you know what? There's a better day coming. He says, I don't even consider what we're going through now. It doesn't even measure up to the glory that will be. So he has this extreme confidence of a future glory. The creation waits, verse 19, in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. There's a day coming. 
when those who know Christ will be revealed as the sons and daughters of the living God. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope, there's your word, in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So the hope is what? The hope is that we will be saved, that we will turn to God, that we will know Christ, that we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we'll be indwelt by the Word of God, and that we'll begin to give God glory with our lives. And he says, so that's the hope. There's the word hope. So is it like hoping, but I don't know if that's going to happen? Well, look what, look what goes on. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now he's connecting this with the word hope. When you, in the pains of childbirth. You know, when a woman is giving birth, you're really sure of one thing. She's going to have a baby. And there's hope in that. I hope it's a boy, if you don't know. I hope it's a girl. I hope it has hair. I hope it has blue eyes. I hope So there's a, there's a lot about that baby that you don't know, but one thing you know for sure, that when it's born, it's not going to be a Labrador retriever, right? You know, honey, we have a puppy. I don't, that's just never going to happen. You have the absolute assurance that as the pains of childbirth are coming, that it's going to be a human, right? And so he's saying that we live in hope of the future glory that will be revealed in us, absolutely knowing that we're saved, absolutely knowing there's a heaven after this, absolutely knowing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And yet there are elements of what that's going to look like that are completely unknown to us at this time. So in that we hope. So God wants to change the valley of Achor to a door of hope. Hope like, wow, yeah, I hope I can get free from this addiction. No, the absolute knowledge that you can get free from that addiction. How it's going to happen may yet be unknown to you. Is this making sense? You're really quiet this morning. Did the Buckeyes win? Did they? What was it? 58, who did they play, anybody? I know, we, we, we played Wisconsin yesterday, beat them. Who? Oh, Utgers. Oh. Just don't say the R or what? I always mean to look that up because I don't really pay that much attention, to be honest with you, because I always know you'll be sad if they lose. But it sounds like you should be a lot happier than you are. <laughs> yeah, it's still on, isn't it? 5 0. Thank you, Chris. Play-by-play commentary here. Here's the deal, guys. God is offering you a door. That's not difficult to envision, is it? You can make a picture of a door. I want you to picture yourself in your trouble. You define what your trouble is, whether it's secret sin, whether it's addiction that people know about, whatever whatever it is. Why don't you just picture yourself in the valley of Achor. And God is saying, I want to make a change. I want, to, I want to show you a door out. A door of hope. 
You can picture that door, can't you? That's not hard. Now all you have to do is put your faith in the Word of God. All you have to do. That's a big thing. Father, show us the door out of the valley of Achor. Thank you that we shall not be stoned for our sins since Jesus was somehow stoned for us. That even our secret sins can somehow find forgiveness under your righteousness. But Lord, we want out. We want out of the valley of Achor. We want out of the trouble room. Those places that we say we won't visit and we keep finding ourselves going back. Would you come, Holy Spirit, now and help each man and each woman in this room walk through, at least move toward the door of hope. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I couldn't possibly know everybody's name in this room, let alone the details of their lives, but you know them. And you love them. And I pray for a release for the captives, for those who have been lied to for so long that they think that this is as good as it's ever going to get never be different. I break that lie in the name of Jesus and pray for you to draw before them the picture, the image of the door of hope. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. stand together please and could we have some prayer ministry people come up these guys are here to pray for you about anything at all they'll be up here on the sides if you're new here these are people who have simply received some training from us about how to pray for people in lots of different needs and you could come up to them they could pray for you about seeing the door of hope that maybe you can't even see pray for you about becoming a believer today, moving into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. They could pray for you about healing. They could pray for you about deliverance. They could pray for you about anything, really. So as we sing, I just want to invite you just to move about. Come on up. If some of you would like to just draw close to the Lord or up on the cross, you're always welcome to do that here.